Oh, Mr. Shives, I'm so glad you will see me. I'm in the most desperate state and I can trust no one. <sighs> Jason, why are you dressed like a 1940s femme fatale? Oh, forgive the way I'm dressed, Mr. Shives. I'm sure as a private detective you're used to a different class of lady. J- okay, Jason, you swore you wouldn't go cuckoo like this again. Oh, I may be crazy. Just a crazy, a desperate woman needing a man, a dependable and discreet man. Won't you help me, Mr. Shives? I will give you anything. Anything. Oh, okay. Jason, please just get out of my lap and take these pills so we can review the movie. If you think that's for the best, darling. <sighs> nope. Okay, I've told you a million times. I'm never calling you darling. Angel. Take the pills. What is it? The uh, stuff that dreams are made of. Huh? Hello, everybody, and welcome to Late Seating. I am Jason Harding. And I'm Steve Shives. And on this show, we take a classic movie and see if it lives up to its reputation, whether that reputation is good or bad. And this time around, its reputation is not only good, it's fucking gold! Ooh, yeah, for real. What movie are we... <laughs> and and jewel-encrusted. And jewel-encrusted, and then covered in black whatever, lacquer. <laughs> black enamel. Black whatever, black enamel, whatever. Shut whatever. up, fat man. Anyway, <laughs> hey, Steve... What classic yeah. movie are we going to tear apart for our own pleasure? <laughs> we we are going to take a big, hot, steaming piss all over the legacy <laughs> Jesus. of that classic film noir, The Maltese Falcon. Okay, Steve's uh, comments about micturation aside, we are going to <laughs> review The Maltese Falcon, one of the yes. greatest, considerable, like one of the first noir movies. Oh, yeah. Um, and it's super great, and everybody likes it, but will we like it? Oh? What do you think? Long-time listeners, this is like a <laughs> deadlock cinch. Yeah, believe me, if I come out roaring out after we do the recap and I'm like, fuck this movie, you guys will all be surprised. Everyone will be surprised. I hated it. We're the strong female character. Where are these, Steve? There are, well, I mean, there are a couple, actually. Are there? Yeah. All right. I mean, for the time. Hey, Steve. Yeah. Do you have any trivia about the Maltese Falcon? I do. Yay. I do, and and my first bit of trivia is actually about the Maltese Falcon itself, because there were uh, several props of the Maltese Falcon that were made up for the movie, and the total cost of creating the Maltese Falcons that we see in the film yeah. was about was about seven hundred dollars. Wow, that's, that's what it cost to to make them and to paint them and everything. That's ridiculous. Yeah, they all all together they all cost seven hundred dollars. Three of them are known to still exist and be in circulation. That's and correct. To, yeah, and today each one of those three Maltese Falcons is conservatively estimated to be worth one million dollars. A, a piece. A piece. Yes, each. Yeah. So they Doesn't Spielberg we, we, have one. I think he does, yeah. So, which is it's it's an interesting trivia because that's what uh, Gutman, the fat man, speculates that the Falcon in the movie might be worth 
if he could sell it to like an interested buyer in the movie, yeah. he says it might be up to a million dollars. Well, in 1941 dollars, um, that was like 17 million dollars. Oh yeah, yeah, exactly. You have to take into account the the differences in the currency, you know, the mm. inflation and such. But it's cool that like today, the 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 700 dollar props from the movie, because they're in this classic movie, are now worth a million dollars each. So yeah. Um, also, this was one of the first films inducted into the National Film Registry That's when correct. the registry was opened in 1989. And uh-huh. this is a cool. This is a cool little bit of trivia um directed of course by john houston who which we'll talk about in a minute but right. uh, in, in exchange for more creative control over the movie uh john houston agreed to do a last minute uncredited polish to the script for another classic film sergeant york that's correct so there you go that's right i have some trivia oh please you can't come to san francisco without finding maltese falcon shit all over the place <laughs> Even after 80 years. A lot of it about Sam Spade and Dashiell Hammett. Now, yeah. there are tours that you can take, which will take you around to the sites that, in the various books and in the movie. You can walk up and look through Sam Spade's apartment window if you want. You can kind of guesstimate where the Spade and Archer's uh, building used to be, which is impossible because I looked out those windows. Not only can you see the Bay Bridge, you can see... I, he, it must have been somewhere on Market Street, but I mean restaurants. There was a, a Maltese Falcon briefly in one of the restaurants. I can't remember what it's called. Nick's Grill, I think, or something like that. Um, there's Dashiell Hammett Way, where you can go and, and live in the apartment that Dashiell Hammett lived in if you have the money for it. If... What is it? Anyway, so yeah. So it's weird because San Francisco is now known as this kind of liberal city, yeah. but there's still all these tributes to this noir genre huh? that uh, that uh, Dashiell Hammett created. Oh, by the way, he's the guy who wrote the book. Yeah. So, uh, And he also created two of my favorite characters of all time. But anyway, and who also lived in San Francisco? But they don't get a street. There's no there's no tours for the thin man, is there, Steve? No. <laughs> you need to start one. It's always about that jerk, Sam Spade. <laughs> that, that jerk, Sam Spade. <laughs> All right, you ready to know who made it? Yes, please. It was directed by John Huston. And you know him. He directed The Treasure of the Sierra Madre and yeah. African Queen and Misfits and The Dead and Pritzi's Honor. And he's like a... He's a film titan, everybody. Oh, yeah. He's, he's like a film titan. And if you ever want to read just how much a person can do before they're 30 years old, <laughs> read a biography about about John Huston, because he did everything. And he's a high school dropout. Yay! So take that, education. <laughs> yeah, fuck you, education. <laughs> I'm going to be just like John Huston. <laughs> Um, written screenplay by John Huston. He wrote most of his own screenplays, mm-hmm. um, which is based on The Maltese Falcon by Dashiell Hammett. And Dashiell Hammett wrote The Thin Man. And um, I li- love Nick and I want to be Nick and Nora's kid. When they had that kid, I wanted to be. <laughs> well, you know they were putting liquor in that kid's baby bottle. <laughs> the Thin Baby. Go to sleep. <laughs> exactly. Give the kid some bourbon, will you, Nora? <laughs> Starring Humphrey Bogart as Sam Spade. Do I? Do I need? No, I don't. You know who he is. Stop it. Stop. <laughs> if you don't know who he is, I can't help you. <laughs> it's too late for you. 
Mary Astor as Ruth Wonderly slash Bridget O'Shaughnessy. Hi, hi. Now, she hasn't made anything major, major, but she did make 109 movies. Remember, guys, we're in that era where everybody worked and they worked a lot. And not all of it was good because Hollywood produced like a thousand movies a year. Yeah, really. Because the theater was like TV and you wanted new stuff in there all the time. Gladys George as Iva Archer. Same thing, okay? Just take for granted that they work constantly. Peter Laurie is Joel Cairo. Do I? You know him from M. You know him from a bunch of stuff. You know him from the B movies where he played, oh boy, where he played Mr. Moto. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Oh. oh. That's unfortunate. That's, That's a yeah. relic. You guys it's don't a relic know who Mr. Moto is. Time. He's like a Charlie Chan, but um, I think he's, is he Japanese? I think, I think so. Yeah. yeah, yeah. It's from back in the days when it was it was okay to be racist against black people, and it was Super even more racist. okay. <laughs> it was even more okay to be racist against Asian people. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Did you know him? He he spoke like this. Oh yes. You loathe me, don't you, Rick? Um, <laughs> <laughs> you know him from Casablanca and a bunch of other yeah. stuff. And if you haven't seen him, go see it. Oh, Love great movie. Um, Barton McLean as Lieutenant Dundee. And you guys might know him better as the general from I Dream of Genie. Yeah. Sorry, Barton. <laughs> <laughs> Lee Patrick as Effie per- Perrine. Same thing, same same. She did a bunch of stuff. Yeah. Sydney Greenstreet as Casper Gutman. And you'll know him from Casablanca and a bunch of other movies. And then he dies a little after. He dies in 1949. He's a good character actor. Oh, yeah. Yeah. He got off to a late start in terms of films. Oh, Rick, you're my kind of man. (laughs) Just dance around a little. Let me see the cut of your suit. Um, Ward Bond as Detective Tom Paulus. And you'll know him as Bert the Cop in It's a Wonderful Life, and yeah. he was in The Searchers. Yeah, that's right. Did a, did a, a couple of movies with John Wayne. Yeah. yeah. Jerome Cowan as Miles Archer, and you'll know him as the prosecuting district attorney in Miracle on 34th Street. Yeah. Elijah Cook Jr., who has been making his rounds on our show for whatever reason. <laughs> yes. Probably because he was the hardest working uh, supporting actor ever. Um, you will know him from The Big Sleep and Shane mm-hmm. and Star Trek yep. and television and yeah. just tons and tons of He's stuff. He's one of those one of those actors that y- you will know him as soon as you see him, even if you don't know his name. Yep. You've seen him James, in tons of stuff. Yeah. James Burke as Luke, the hotel detective. Murray Alper as Frank Richmond, taxi driver. Um, you'll know him. He worked with Hitchcock a couple of times. He was in Saboteur and he was in Strangers on a Train and he would have been the lead in Life boat if he'd not gotten sick. Aww. John Hamilton as District Attorney Brian, and you'll know him as Perry White on Superman. Yes, the best <laughs> Perry White. Walter Houston as Captain Jacoby. He was uncredited. Walter Houston is John Houston's daddy. Yeah. And he was a acclaimed, uh, acclaimed uh, actor, um, and he actually won a Best Supporting Academy Award for The Treasure of Sierra Madre, which was also written and directed by his son. Nepotism. Yeah. <laughs> it's kept Hollywood going for 100 years. Yep. 
<laughs> music by Adolf Deutsch, and he did music for things like Some Like It Hot and The Apartment. Um, he did a lot of musicals and stuff like that. Cinematography by Arthur Edison, and you'll know him from The Thief of Baghdad, Frankenstein, and Casablanca. Good job. You're Ooh. good. You're a good cinematographer, Arthur. Yeah. Edited by Thomas Richards. Nothing. <laughs> Remember I said all these guys worked all the time. This guy barely did anything, and the rest of his stuff was shit. <laughs> it was his one shining moment. I honestly believe that Houston was probably in there editing this. Because here's the deal, guys. Um, John Houston um, drew out everything that he was going to shoot. Yeah. And then he would just shoot it to the length that he wanted it shot and put it in order. He did not do a lot of coverage. He didn't do a lot of other shots. He didn't do second unit bullshit. He shot what he wanted, and it was in the can, and then all he had to do was piece it together in order so that he would have the, his whole movie. So an editor just kind of sat there and went, oh, yeah. okay, just trim the ends off and stick it together, I guess. <laughs> exactly. Well, and, and of course, uh, Steven Spielberg, lots of big-time directors have done that, but Steven Spielberg is well-known to work the same way, where he has such a clear idea in his head of what the movie's going to look like. Like that mm-hmm. he he ends up shooting very little that he doesn't actually need. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. That's why you don't get extra bull bonus footage from his movies. Usually. It's all in the movie. Just watch the movie. Mm-hmm. Uh, distributed by Warner Brothers. Release date, October 18th, 1941. Running time, 101 minutes. Budget, $375,000. Adjusted for inflation, $6.5 million. Box office, $1.7 million or $17.4 million, making it a huge hit. Yeah. Yippee! We'll never see a movie like this ever again. <laughs> <sighs> no. <coughs> Unless, of course, something's coming out from Joel and Ethan Cohen soon. That's true. They're the only ones who are like, you know, we could just do an old-fashioned movie. <laughs> <laughs> well, no, it's they, half of their movies are, are uh, uh, neo noir. Yeah, more than yeah. half of them. Blood simple, uh, blood simple. No, <laughs> a lot of them are considered neo noir. Blood simple. Man, uh, man who uh, wasn't there. Man who wasn't there, which wasn't great. But I mean, no, it's, it's not still, great. But it's yeah. That was too on the nose for them for yeah. neo noir. But I mean, the Big Lebowski is neo noir. Oh yeah. Um, um, Fargo is neo. Fargo definitely. Yeah. I mean, they, it's it's a genre they like going back to over and over and over again. So hopefully the next time. Although I did like the ballad of uh, what's his face Scuggs that was on Netflix. If you haven't seen that, oh yeah, I haven't seen that one yet. Oh, you need to watch it. It's so good. It's so good. Anyway, (laughs) what were we talking about? Oh right, the Maltese Falcon, the Big Lebowski. No. (laughs) (laughs) All right, Steve. Are you ready to go to the thing in San Francisco and and tell those guys, hey, you better. Give me a bird or I'll <laughs> shoot somebody. You, you give me that magic MacGuffin bird right now. You ready to run into a movie where nothing affects the main character seemingly? <laughs> I know, right? He's, uh, you know, he has a thick skin. That's all. Yeah. <laughs> all right, Steve, let's put on our trench coats. Let's put on yeah. our, our hat, our fedora hats. Oh, let's yeah. smoke a million cigars. Let's always have one lit in our pocket just in case we, <laughs> we need to smoke. Always be prepared. Let's let's drink and fuck everything, everybody. <laughs> and let's run into the world of the Maltese Falcon. Ooh. Steve, yes. take it away. <laughs> 
Okay. Well, we get the, we get the opening credits, of course, as is uh, mm-hmm. as is traditional for a film from this era. True. And then we get a little opening title that uh, explains to us, and I will quote this in the voice of a 1940s newsreel announcer. Go for it. <laughs> In 1539, the Knight Templars of Malta paid tribute to Charles V of Spain by sending him a golden falcon encrusted from beak to claw with rarest jewels. But pirates seized the galley carrying this priceless token, and the fate of the Maltese falcon remains a mystery to this day. Wow, it's like Star Wars. So that's the... (laughs) Exactly. It even scrolled up. Yep. Um, So that's the setup. That's Mm -hmm. the MacGuffin of the movie, the the mysterious long-lost Maltese falcon. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and then we we go to the office as in San Francisco. Yeah, yeah, we that's see, right. We see the Bay Bridge and showing yeah. off the Bay Bridge. That's right. And then we go inside the office of Spade and Archer. Yeah, private investigators. Private investigators. Oh, yes. Effie comes in and says, hey, Sam, there's like this hot lady. There's like a super hot lady outside. And I think maybe you should fuck her. I don't know. She's like, she <laughs> I thought to myself, <laughs> I thought to myself, Sam likes super hot ladies. Since he doesn't like me, apparently, I guess, uh, you know, it's, it's a super hot lady. And he's like, he asks, uh, she says, and you should see her. She's a real dish or something like that. Yeah, right? yeah. And he's like, send her right in. <laughs> And then we meet meet Miss Wonderly, and she's from New York. But her sister Corrine is missing, and she thinks that she's she's with a man uh, named Floyd Thursby, and she's been sending her letters, but the sister never showed up for her mail. But Floyd Thursby did, and he told her that Corrine didn't want to see her. But but Thursday said that he'll meet her for dinner, and to bring and he'll bring Corrine if she wants to come, but she probably won't. So. what what is he supposed to do? <laughs> well, this is what his his partner comes in, Miles. Mm-hmm. Miles comes in, and Miles like basically does you know like a cartoon tongue hanging out gag when he sees yeah. it. Yeah, like, oh, hello. And, and what, uh, yeah, yeah. The, 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 she, I think Sam sort of deduces what she wants. She never actually gets around to saying it. But the idea is she wants Sam or Miles, one of them, to uh, to be at the hotel tonight when she's supposed to meet. Thursby and or her sister and yeah. to help get her sister away from him. And what they say is we're going to tell we're going to we're going to tail Thursby. Yeah. We're going to find Kareem cuz she's afraid that he's going to hurt her. Right. And then she pays the money. Yeah. And like yeah, we'll take care of it and then afterwards they're like I saw her first and it's like I talked to her first. Yeah. And he said, "Oh yeah, well, I smelled her first." <laughs> Damn you. The rules of dibs are quite unforgiving. We cut and it's at night. Yeah. And Archer is standing on the corner of Bush and Stockton, a, a corner I walk on every single goddamn day of my life. Wow. Uh, by the way, guys, it's really neat to watch this movie when you live in San Francisco. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, and uh, he's standing there, and then suddenly he sees somebody, and a uh, gun is held up, and he gets shot. And, Uh-oh. And he rolls down a hill. Whee! <laughs> he rolls forever down the biggest hill in the world. Mm-hmm. And yep. then someone calls Sam, and it's like 2 o'clock in the morning, and his hair is perfect. Oh, of course. His hair is so perfect when he gets up, and he's like, what? Who? Huh? <laughs> uh, yeah, I'm him. Where? What? Dead? How many times? What was he wearing? Check his underwear. Were they women's or men's? <laughs> yep, that's him. That's him. Okay. <laughs> and then he gets off the phone, and he calls Effie, the receptionist. 
Yeah. And he tells her tells her to break the news to Iva. Who's yeah. Iva? I don't know. I guess we're supposed to assume that it's Archer's wife, right? Right, right. Yeah, but he doesn't actually say that. You mean Archer, the guy who was like, I'm going after Miss Horn's Hornswoggle? She's so fucking hot, I want all... He's so, married. So he so he was kind of a scumbag. Yeah, just a little bit. Trying to get over with another woman while he's married. That's not cool. Yeah. Sam shows up at the scene of the crime, and uh, and pl- the police detective show him a murder weapon, and it's a Wembley handgun, which he recognizes on sight yeah. as a British gun. <laughs> and he's like, wow, you have great... That's fantastic. He's like, yeah, there was only 19 of them made. It's an eight shot. No one really uses them anymore. I can probably tell you who made it and when. And what they had <laughs> Let me see the serial number. I'll tell you the most recent owner. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, so then Sam tells the detective, and the detective's name is Tom, that Archer was trailing a man named Thursby. And he's like, oh, okay. Yeah, yeah. And then he says, I gotta go, I gotta go tell the wife, right? Right. Which is a lie. He's a yeah, he's, liar. He's a filthy liar, because he doesn't. And he goes to a payphone, and then he calls Mrs. Wonderly's hotel, but she's checked out. Yeah. And he, hmm. we're like, oh. And he's like, maybe she's dead or something. I don't know. <laughs> he doesn't say that, but I wish he had. Now that he, mm-hmm. maybe she's dead. Yeah. And then he goes back to his apartment, and some cops show up. And yeah. who are the cops? The cops are well. It's Tom from the scene, and then it's also right. uh, the lieutenant. What's his name? I can't think of his name. Yeah. Whatever. Um, and then they're like, "Oh, did you shoot him? Did you shoot him? Did you shoot Archer? No. Did you shoot? No. They think that. Yeah. They're treating him like a suspect. They're yeah. like, well, where were you? What were you doing? Where, where are you going? You said you you said you were going to go call Ivy, but we talked to your receptionist, and she spilled the beans on you, and you're going to the Jimmy Jam, and you're going to get the hot seat, <laughs> and and. He's getting. He gets a little angry, right? And and um, they tell him that Thursby was shot in the back like nineteen times. Yeah, thirty minutes after after uh, he left the crime scene. Right, and they're so now, thinking like, well, because he didn't go where he said he was going, so maybe he found Thursby and killed Thursby in retaliation out of revenge. for yeah, revenge. He yeah. would shout and then shoot him six times. In the back. <laughs> there's there's a great line that Sam has where he says, "How did I kill him? I forget." <laughs> <laughs> and. But he says he, he didn't do it. He's never seen yeah. Thursby dead or alive. Yeah. And they're like, okay, we got your eye on you. You better not do anything suspicious for the next few days. That's right. We'll be upset. <laughs> the next day, we see a newspaper headline, and it's huge. It's the biggest thing to ever happen in San Francisco. <laughs> I know. It says, Fatty Arbuckle returns. Lock oh. your doors. <laughs> hey, he was innocent. Uh, it said, not according not according to William Randolph Hearst, he wasn't. That's well. And he controlled the newspaper industry in San Francisco and all over the world. Fuck you, Arbuckle. <laughs> Fat fuck. Just hate <laughs> you for no reason. Yeah, I, I just hate you, that's all. <laughs> but it says, uh, what does it say? Like, the uh, Thursby and Archer murders are linked. Yeah. And everyone's Two people like, you've never heard of are dead. Yes. Aren't you excited yet? <laughs> Murder! But Sam goes back to the office, and who's there? Oh, it's Iva. And 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 Iva, we've now determined, is Archer's widow. Yeah, right? yeah. And, you know, Sam's a little miffed because he told Effie specifically, keep her away from me. Yeah. And Effie's and like, yeah, she was really upset. Eff- Effie's tired. Effie's yeah. like, I've had her all night. <laughs> he goes in, she's wearing all black. 
And then they kiss each other. <gasps> oh, you don't mean Sam is kind of a scumbag, too. A little bit, because they kiss each other hard and she... Oh, yeah. Then Iva asks him immediately, did you kill him? And Sam's like, oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> what? And she she says, you, you used to say <laughs> that if he wasn't in the picture. Mm-hmm. And he's like, okay, just <laughs> knock that shit off, mm-hmm. okay? And Effie comes in. She rolls him a cigarette. Yeah. The sexiest fucking thing in this movie. <laughs> and she tells him that she went to Iva's house at like a bajillion to tell her that her husband was dead and that Iva hadn't been home very long because her stockings were warm. And then I had to picture Effie fondling a pair of stockings. And I'm like, I think I'm in love with Effie now. <laughs> Why isn't Sam married to Effie? Mm-hmm. He doesn't want to be married to anybody. What are she's you she seems like a good detective her own self, and she's super into him. Uh yeah, you think. Yeah. Anyway, uh, Sam, Sam doesn't believe that Iva shot anybody. No. And then Mrs. Wonderly calls. Yeah. And she tells him to meet her at the Cornet Apartments under the name LeBlanc. So is her name LeBlanc? Yeah. What is her name? Hmm. Uh huh. And he leaves, and then he tells Evie to get rid of all of Archer's shit. Yeah, he says get it. He says uh, get his desk out of here. Take his name off the windows and put my put just my name on the windows. Mm-hmm. Go buy some of that Febreze stuff and just start spraying around the office. Don't want to smell his stink anymore. Wash all your clothes. If you have anything he touched, burn it. Life goes on. He will disappear. We he will not even be a memory. <laughs> I don't want to. I don't want to hear you mentioning his name again. Mm-hmm. So uh, she, he goes and he meets Miss Wonderly at the apartment that she said, and she's got a terrible confession to make. Uh, it turns out, it turns out that story she told him was to employ a technical term, uh, all made up. Yeah. Yeah. She just completely she's- made up that shit. Her real name's Bridget O'Shaughnessy. Yeah. And she met Thursby in, like, the Orient. Back yeah. when it was the Orient. <laughs> <laughs> when it was just this this big, like, brown patch on a map. Where did you meet him in the Orient? Japan? Asia? Korea? <laughs> sure. Yeah, One of them. I guess. One of them. <laughs> Couldn't of understand a word anybody a was saying. Rice. I don't know. <laughs> Um, and he says that he betrayed her, but she won't tell him how she did it. But she thinks that Thursby killed Archer, right? Right. And that she's all afraid, afraid, because she's in mortal danger. And does he buy that? Does he buy any of it? Does he seem to buy any of it? No. In fact, he even tells her that, that he and Miles knew, or at least suspected, that her story mm-hmm. was bullshit because she paid them too much money. Yeah. You know, so, But he yeah. agrees He agrees to, to, I guess, protect her or whatever. Yeah. And he takes all of her money. He gets, takes $500. <laughs> he takes all of she, her money. She said, this is $400. And she's like, I, I put some in my, in my booby purse. Here you go. I just wanted to have some for food. And he's like, fuck you and your food. Sell <laughs> your shit. Exactly. I love one of my favorite scenes of the movie. He's like, you're going to have to hawk some shit. Give me the last $100. Thank you. <laughs> Goodbye. Um... When he, she goes to go get the money, he does some detective work and looks in her hat. And yeah. says, so from Hong Kong. So he's like, oh, that must check out. Or she bought an imported hat. It could be either one of those things. Yeah, it doesn't necessarily prove anything. Although it did say that the shop was in Hong Kong. Yeah, so, okay. I guess she was in that part of the Orient. The Orient. 
It always turns just, out to be Hong Kong in these and movies. And he's like, okay, honey puss, I'm going to go out and f- I'm going to go down and run down some info for you. And that's what he did, the end. No, yeah. he, <laughs> he didn't really find anything. He came back the next morning and said, well, I'm stumped. You want to go out for breakfast? We go back to Sam's office and there's somebody there. Yeah. Oh, yes. And who is it? <laughs> it's Joel Cairo. And he's not coded as gay at all. What? He practically he practically <laughs> fillets his cane handle while yeah. talking to him. Oh, Mr. Spade. <laughs> you look so good. I was uh... Anyway, why is he there? Why why is he there? In well, his gloves and his tiny little bow tie and his curly hair. He's there because he wants to get this special black birdie. Um, and Sam should have gone, is that what you guys call it now? I thought you just tied a ribbon on a bush in the park. <laughs> oh, no, you misunderstand me, sir. <laughs> I'm up for it. How much money you got? Oh, well, this changes everything. <laughs> yeah, no, he offers him, he offers him, he says, I'll pay you $5,000 if you can find, if you can retrieve the the blackbird. Yeah. And Spade yeah. is like, uh, what? Who are you? What's the bird? I have no idea what you're talking about. But no, by the $5, way, guys, $5,000 sounds nice. $5,000 in 1941 money is like a gajillion bagillion. It's like $80,000. It's a lot of money. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and then uh, Effie buzzes in, and she's like, I'm going to go home since you're not paying attention to me. And he's like, fine, lock up when you leave. <laughs> what I'm do sorry, I care Angel. what you do? And as soon as he hangs up the phone, what does Mr. Cairo do? <gasps> he pulls the most adorable little gun. What does he say? He says, Please I... put your hands behind your head. Yeah, I'm going Look, to search your office. I said I was office. up for it. <laughs> 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 you don't need the guns, Cairo. All you need is a gentle kiss. <laughs> we can do this nice and consensual like gentlemen. <laughs> but he's got a gun and he's like, I'm going to search your everything. Right, because he thinks that, that Sam might have the bird that he's looking for. Mm-hmm. But of course, Sam just... He's just yeah. like, give me the gun, motherfucker. Yeah, he just like, takes the whatever. gun away from him. He, no, remember, he's going to search Spade to make sure he's not armed. Right. But then he uh, karate chops him and then knocks him out. Yeah. And then well, he goes through backing his stuff. him up because for a brief second, I thought they were going to kiss. He <laughs> knocks the gun out of his hand and then he grabs his lapels and they're backing each other up. And he's just looking at him. He smiling, smiles like, at him. Yeah. What, are you, what are you doing, Spade? <laughs> he's thinking about confused? it himself. He's like, let me, hmm, what do I want to do here? But he punches him and he knocks him out onto the onto the couch. Yeah. And um oh yeah, we forgot one other thing because he's totally not coated gay at all. His card smells like what is it? Gardenias. Gardenias. Yeah. 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 Um, what? So, uh, 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 what? What are you saying? A heterosexual man in the forties couldn't smell like gardenias? Well, now I know what kind of heterosexual man in the forties you'd be. <laughs> You're damn right. What's wrong I'd with smelling nice? I'd be the kind nice? that eats a steak and drinks nails. I'd be. <laughs> <laughs> I'm so straight. I hate women. Wait a minute. What? <laughs> Just don't think about that too much. <laughs> um. And then he takes out and he, and he gets the guy's uh, passport. Yeah. Right? Um, and also he has a fragrant handkerchief, apparently, mm. because he smells it. And he's got um, no money in there. There isn't yeah. any $5,000. No, yeah, not nearly. And then Cairo wakes up and he says, I'll still pay $5,000 for him. <laughs> and um, because he thinks that Spade knows where the bird is. Right. Right. Even though Spade doesn't know what the hell he's talking about. Right. This is the first he's ever heard of it. Yeah. Right. And he says, I'll look for the bird. 
Um, and this is a great scene too, where he's giving him back, and he's like, "Oh, can you give me my? Can you please return my gun?" And he's like, "Yep." And he gives him the gun, and what does he do? He immediately turns the gun on him and says, "Put your hands behind your head. I'm going to search your office." Mm-hmm. And that <laughs> just tickles Sam Spade. He likes that. He's like, "Go ahead, you crazy little I'm bastard. I'm not going to stop you." <laughs> This is a fun night. <laughs> this is going to be a heck of a story to tell Miles. Oh, never mind. <laughs> hey, Miles. <did> you... <laughs> That's why I got rid of all of his things. <laughs> anyway, uh, he leaves the office. <coughs> Excuse me. But he's being tailed by a man in a trench coat, um, which is weird because almost everybody's wearing trench coats. But this guy's definitely wearing a trench coat, right, Steve? He's wearing the shit out of this trench coat, yeah. And he's not really good at following him, is he? He, he well, no, he's not really good at anything. No, he keeps as it turns bumping out. into people. He keeps <laughs> shouting to Sam Spade, "Wait, stop! I can't follow you if we walk that fast." <laughs> Sam, wait up! Hey, come on, make my job a little easy, huh? Um, but then uh, Sam checks him, gets into a cab, and the guy following him gets into a cab too. And um, the cab that Sam's in takes him to a building, and then he goes in the building, and he goes out the back door, and the guy who's following him goes into the lobby and starts looking at the mailboxes because he was following him to find out, I think, where Bridget is. Right. And then he goes to Bridget's apartment, and he tells her that he does not believe in her innocent schoolgirl act because she's once again sitting around going, "Oh, I'm so, uh, I'm so very afraid." And he's like, "Stop it! <laughs> Knock it off!" And he tells him that he met Joe Cairo, and she asked, "Did you guys have sex?" And he said, "No." And then um, the name seems familiar to Bridget, doesn't it? Oh yeah. And she wants to know what Cairo said about her because they're all lies, they're dirty lies. There's no way <laughs> I was not alone with him that long. And he he says he didn't mention her, and she's like, "What? <laughs> no, he didn't say anything about me at all. I did so many things for him, but <laughs> thought I'd make it memorable." He said, "I'm gay now," and left. I don't understand. <laughs> Um, and she tells him that uh, Cairo offered him 5000 bucks to find the bird. And um, so she says she doesn't, I think she says, I don't have that kind of money. And um, is there anything else that I can offer you <laughs> instead of $5,000? It's the classic porno setup. Isn't there some other way I can pay for this? <laughs> How can I pay for this pizza? <laughs> Um, and he's like, yeah, and he grabs her face and he kisses her. And we pan out to the street. He looks out, out the street and there's a guy standing there, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So he's like, let's give him a show. <laughs> Come on, right by the window. We know they fucked. We know they fucked, right, Steve? I would say it's a it's a reasonable assumption, yeah. Did he push her up against the window so the guy following him could see? Look, <laughs> look what I'm doing. I'm all man. <laughs> Don't listen to what that Cairo guy says. Yeah, Bridget says, I'm going to need to meet with Cairo. Uh, and so he says, let's meet at my, we'll meet at my place, right? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. See, I had to take really detailed notes because this is that kind of movie, guys. Oh boy, there's, yeah, yeah, it's, it's, it's a, a rather plot heavy mm-hmm. <laughs> movie. Yeah, for real. Yeah. Not a whole lot in character development. Yeah. <laughs> So at the apartment, Iva is um, still pretending to mourn her dead husband. And she's she's looking out the car window, and she's all dressed in black. And she sees Sam get out of Bridget. Oh, she doesn't seem too happy about that. No. Uh-uh. And um, he, when he's up there in the apartment, he looks out, and he sees the guy who's been tailing him, right? 
Right. And then Cairo shows up. And Cairo says, I saw him too. And then Bridget tells him that she'll have the Falcon in a week. Yeah. And it's currently wherever Flo- Floyd, Thur- Thur- uh, the guy who got shot in the back. Thursby. Where- yeah. Thursby, wherever he hit it. Um, and also that she's afraid to touch it because of what happened to Floyd. Yeah. <laughs> like, did the Falcon kill Floyd? Yeah, yeah, and they're like, yeah, who killed Floyd? And then Bridget says it was the fat man. Yeah. And Cairo oh. reacts to that. And then um, then Bridget and Cairo argue. Yeah. And then Cairo pulls a gun on her. And then he oh, he disarms him and slaps him in the face. And he starts to complain. And then he says, when you're slapped, you'll take it and like it. And he <laughs> slaps him two more times. <laughs> I'm a hard-boiled detective, see? Yeah. And then the buzzer rings, and he's got to go answer the door, and he says, stay here. That's probably my Chinese food. You pipe down in here. <laughs> Be quiet. It's not Chinese food. It's the no. po It's the police. It's the, it's the 5-0. <laughs> the fuzz. It's the pig train. <laughs> and they're like, Sam, let us in. And he's like, no. <laughs> let no, you in. No, it's okay. And they're like, no, no, no. But they want to talk about him and Archer's wife. Right. And, of course, no, I'd never, no, no, I'd never, why would I? Me? No, I'm on the up and up. That's ridiculous. (laughs) Did she say that? What did she say? What did she say? Did she mention my mole? (laughs) Because you'll never see it, copper. (laughs) And the cops are about to leave when Cairo screams for help. (laughs) And then the cops are like, I guess we're coming in. (laughs) Yep. And they break in, and Bridget's there, and Cairo, and they're fighting, and Cairo's head is bleeding. Yeah. And he says that Bridget pistol whipped him. Yes. (laughs) A believable story. (coughs) And he says, no, no, see what's happening is... Um, Bridget is working for me, and Cairo is working for Thursby, and the cops are going to... Okay, that's enough. I'm done. This is all... I don't know what's happening. Let's all just... We're all going downtown. And then he says it was all a trick, right? Yeah, Spade, he tried... He said, oh, we were just putting you on. Yeah. We're just pretending to struggle so the cops... These are these are some alone. friends of mine from a local improv troupe. I love it when she breaks and she screams and she kicks him. Yes. <laughs> kicks... Kicks Cairo. <laughs> then um, Spade asks Bridget, what the fuck is this black bird? And why is everyone so crazy about it? If it's a crow, it better be a talking crow that does magic. Because I don't understand what's going on. <laughs> Never cared for birds myself. <laughs> and they're like, you know, it's it's a, like a statue. And it's very smooth and shiny. And it looks like a hawk. And it's about this big. And um, she doesn't, she says, she says... I don't know why it's so important, even though someone paid Bridget 500 pounds to get it from its previous owner. So, uh, (laughs) this belonged to somebody else and they stole it. Yeah. Or at least that's what it sounds like. But then, Joe Cairo made off with it, so Bridget and Thursby took it from Cairo, and then Thursby hid it. Yeah. And so, he's like, everybody's lying. (laughs) Yeah. You're all just a bunch of thieves stealing from each other. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He says, just a plain black statue. And she says, there's some, she says, oh, but there's some truth in my story, but not very much. So now she's even confessing to lying to him. <laughs> Meanwhile, outside, weird trench coat man is still watching Sam's apartment window. He better yeah. be getting paid good. <laughs> Next, we're at the Hotel Belvedere. And Spade marches in, grabs a phone, and demands to speak to Joel Cairo. 
and he hangs up the phone when he sees a dude reading a newspaper. <sighs> and then he sits down next to the man, and it's the guy who's been following him all over the place. Yeah. Right? And he's like, hey, asshole, what are you being such an asshole for? Yeah. Why would you? you know, this is San Francisco. We're not all assholes here. We're live. That's a city of love. <laughs> And the guy um, is like, "Leave me alone! You're gonna. There's gonna be big trouble." Yeah, he's like, "Shove off! Get out of here!" He actually asked him where Cairo is, and he's like, "Ah, leave me alone!" But and he leaves, but he doesn't go very far because he turned into a fucking narc. He goes to the hotel detective <laughs> Luke, yes. and he's like, "That guy's got a gun, and he shouldn't be in here." And the ki- and the guy, thanks, the son, is like, "I won't forget you guys. <laughs> <laughs> I'm gonna come back, and it's gonna be bad for mm-hmm. you." And uh, then Cairo returns to the hotel. Sam grabs him, but he doesn't want to talk to him. No, because Cairo, Cairo, Cairo tells him he's been with the police all night. Yeah, and they interrogated him, but he yeah. repeated the silly story that Sam made up the night before. And then Sam leaves to get some sleep, because I think it's been about five days since he slept. <laughs> <laughs> At the office, Sam has a, has a message from Mr. Gutman. Hmm. And um, Bridget is waiting by Sam's desk to tell him that her apartment was ransacked. And she blames him for letting for being followed. And um, he needs a place for her to live temporarily. And he asks Effie to put her up for a few days. And for them to like get naked and roll around and take pictures. And <laughs> take a lot of pictures of it. A lot of them. <laughs> Here's my movie camera. And the two, then they both leave. They go out the back door, right? Yeah, yeah. And then suddenly, Sam has another visitor. And it's... Who is it, Steve? It's Ivy. Oh, that's right. It's Iva. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, and she confesses that she was the one who called the cops on him. Yeah. Because she saw him go into the building with Bridget and she got jealous. She was mad with jealousy. I also killed her. I did. Actually, it may not have been her. She. I was walking down the street, and all the women had her face. I killed five or six people that looked a lot like her. I'm. I'm, I'm pretty Before sure one of them was her. Me. I told them it was that time of the month that they let me go. <laughs> um. He asked her where was she the night that Archer was killed, and she said she was at home, even though he knows that's a lie. Right. And he sends her away, and he's going to go meet Mr. Gutman. And uh, he he shows up, and who answers the door, Steve? It's the guy who's been following him. Wilma. 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 You're like a son to me, Wilma. (laughs) Now strip naked and dance like a monkey for me, Wilma. You're like a son. (laughs) Just like my own son would have done. You ridiculous (laughs) man-child. I hate you so much. Much. Um, and uh, so Wilmer answers the door, and then we meet Mr. Cutman. He, uh, they shake hands, and um, they have a drink, mm-hmm. and they sit near the fireplace. And Sam Spade wants to get to the point, and but Gutman has lines like, "Oh, do <laughs> what is it like? Uh, are you a man of many words? No, yeah. good. I hate that. I hate <laughs> men who talk all the time." Yeah, and he said he asked him if if he's afraid to drink, and he's like, no. And he's like, good. Because if you're afraid to drink, it means you're afraid of what you'll say when you're drunk. I don't trust anyone who's afraid to drink. Okay, cool. He has a lot of rules. Yeah, he's got a lot of rules. He must he has memorized them too. <laughs> Gutman rule forty seven. Mm-hmm. And anyway, Gutman says that he's the only man who knows exactly where the bird is, but he won't tell Sam what it is unless Sam tells him where it is. Right. right? And Sam 
Flake has a tizzy fit. He pretends to have yeah. a, a temper tantrum. Yeah. And he throws a glass and he storms out of the room and he says, I'm tired of people beating around the bush about stuff. Why won't anyone tell me anything? <laughs> yeah. And he's like, if you want to, if you change your mind and you want to tell me the truth, then you know where to find me or something. Have I been he's... walking around with toilet paper on my shoe this whole day? <laughs> no one said anything? Why? <laughs> Why don't one of you bastards be straight with me for once? <laughs> But as soon as you know he's he's making it up, because as soon as he gets to the hallway, he starts grinning. Yeah, he's like, ain't I a stinker? <clears throat> yeah, and he's playing him for chump. Yeah. And as he gets into the elevator, who gets out the other one on the same floor? <gasps> it's Cairo. Dun, dun, dun. Uh-oh. Back at the courthouse, the district attorney is asking Sam, who killed Thursby? What's going on? Why, why is this? You have toilet paper on your shoe. What are you doing? <laughs> Great Scott. <laughs> what do you mean you almost had sex with a guy named Cairo? <laughs> Okay. No, but they think they want to know who killed Thursby. Right. And he won't tell them what he knows. Right. Right. I'm right. not telling you anything. I'm not, uh, client privilege, some shit. Just cool your heels, coppers. No. And he says the only way that he's going to clear his name is to stay away from the law and bring the bad guys in himself. And then he leaves. And then Wilmer shows up and says, Gutman wants to see him. Yeah. And uh, on the way to the room, <laughs> Sam grabs the kid and removes the guns from his pocket. <laughs> Takes his guns, walks in, hands them to Gutman, and he's uh-huh. like, yeah, you shouldn't let him have these things. It's dangerous. <laughs> <laughs> he might hurt himself. <laughs> so finally, Gutman decides to tell Sam about the Blackbird. And it's something we already know because they told us at the beginning of the fucking movie. Yeah. And it's like, okay, fine. And it goes into some detail about it then turned up a few centuries later and it was painted with black enamel. And then a Greek dealer found it in 1923 or something like yeah. that. Yeah. Um, and apparently Gutman has been chasing this thing his whole goddamn life. And he was going to go see a Greek dealer in 1923 to go get it. But then someone murdered the Greek dealer and the bird was stolen. And then he traced it to the home of a Russian general. Yeah. Uh-huh. Yeah. But he wouldn't sell it, so he stole it. Uh, but they didn't bring the bird to him. And then he gets to the big deal. He says, I'm going to give you $50,000 for the retrieval of the falcon, or a quarter of what he thinks he's going to receive for selling the falcon, right? Right. Which he believes to be worth $1 million or, you know, $17 million this now. Yeah, yeah. And Sam's like, Jesus, that's a lot of Somalians. That's a, that's a huge <laughs> I'll take amount that of deal. clams. That's a huge pile of dough. Could make a five million donuts with that amount of dough. <laughs> could, could buy a lot of smokes with that. Yeah. And then Gutman says, yes, you could. Drink. <laughs> all the way to the bottom. There we go. Drink all of it. I made it special. <laughs> Poison's on the bottom. Oh. I call it a Mickey Finn. <laughs> a what? <laughs> And then the room starts getting all blurry. Uh-oh. You put something in my drink, you devil. <laughs> you naughty dog, you. And Sam gets up and he staggers and he he stumbles into a table. <laughs> and then uh, uh, Gutman calls in Wilmer and Wilmer knocks Spade over and kicks him in the head. Yeah. Mm-mm-mm-mm. And other things might have happened while he was unconscious, but we don't know. <laughs> Thankfully, we dissolved yeah. later. I mean, while he's unconscious, also Joe Cairo comes in from the other room and then they all leave together yeah right and then when sam wakes up it's dark in the room Mm -hmm. then he washes his face in the sink and then he calls effie and he wants to talk to bridget but bridget isn't there and then before she left uh oh before he leaves he searches the hotel room and finds a notice in the newspaper that a ship is arriving from hong kong that day Hmm. 
And somebody circled it in pen, Seems not important. in pencil, which would mean it's possibly wrong, but in pen. <laughs> you meant that shit. Mm-hmm. <laughs> we cut to the docks. And the ship is on fire! <laughs> Uh-oh. Probably an accident unrelated to the story uh-huh. of the film. Some doofus down at the dock said, no one was on the ship. Everybody made it off okay. And he's like, oh, I'm looking for this little tar- this little woman. She cries a lot. She asks people for help. No! I told I said you. nobody. Uh-huh. <laughs> and then so Sam goes back to the office. And we're like, oh, what an exciting adventure. I bet Sam's going to figure out how to find that bird somehow. It's not like someone's just going to stumble into his fucking office. <laughs> But guess what? <laughs> what? Someone stumbles into his office. Oh, what and, a convenient <laughs> thing to happen. And hands him a package and then sits down and dies. Yeah. And he's like, oh. And Effie comes in and she's like, is that man dead? And he's like, yep. Oh, and she's boy. like, I'm, I think maybe I'll faint. And he's like, no, knock it off. You're better than that. <laughs> And he opens up the package with his knife, and he says, it's the Falcon, Yeah, right? We don't get to see it yet, but but he says, that's it, we've got it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, wait, I forgot some other things. Um, a phone rings, and it's Bridget, and she yeah. says she's in danger, and then she screams before the line goes dead. Yeah, and Effie's like, that sounded serious. Yeah, and so uh, he grabs the bundle, um, and he races for the door. He's like, I'm getting out of here. And then he tells Effie the dead man was Captain Jacoby. How does he know? I don't know. The yeah. captain of the ship that got burned it, right? Yeah. I think, well, doesn't he search his stuff? He, he find, I think he searches Yeah, he does search like every, every time he sees an unconscious or dead body. <laughs> He searches through all their stuff. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, and he tells Effie just tell the yeah. tell the cops everything that really happened, but leave out the bit about the bundle. Yeah. Yeah. And so then he goes and he puts the bird in a safe deposit box, and then mm. he's gonna go find F F uh, no Bridget. Bridget. And Bridget gave him an address over the you know over the phone, right? And so he goes to find a, a taxi guy, and he's like, "Drive me to Burlingame, which is a, is kind of far away from San Francisco, not super far away, but I mean it's a actual town." And he's like, "We need to go to this address," and he, they drive. And um, it turns out that the address is an empty lot. Huh. So then Spade calls Effie and tells her the f- that everything was a fake. That she got lied. It's not the, she, I've been, I'm being duped. <laughs> um, so then he gets out of his car and he's going back to his apartment. And Bridget runs out of the shadows. <gasps> and she's exhausted. I've been waiting he, for you all night, Spade. Oh, yeah, I'm so scared. Please. Uh, I need another gedicking to calm me down. <laughs> all right. Come on up. And, um... They take he takes him inside, but who's there? <gasps> well, first we see Wilmer, and then yeah. when they walk all the way in, it's uh, Cairo and Gutman. Yep, yeah. and um, Gutman gives Sam an envelope with ten thousand dollars in it. Yeah, in exchange for the Falcon, and um, he's shortchanged. Yeah, remember he says there's only nine in here. Did you palm one? And he's like, I didn't palm one. Did you palm one? I would never palm one. Did you palm one? Never. This goes on for like fifteen minutes. <laughs> okay, you've got me. I palmed. Fine, I palmed one. You're good. Oh, you're good. Yeah, because he tells him he handed it to to Bridget, and then when he got it back from Bridget, there was a thousand dollars missing. Right. So he's trying to set that up, and that didn't work. Right, and um, then he says, "I'm going to give you the Falcon, but we need a fall guy right. to take the blame for all the murders, or else the police are going to blame him." Yeah, and they all decide How about Wilmer. <laughs> <laughs> right, and at first Gutman's like, "Oh no, it couldn't be Wilmer. He's like a son to me. No, never, never, not uh-huh. in a million years, not ever." 
Well, yeah. okay. And they're like, okay. And then there's a bunch of back and forth about the pros and cons of throwing Wilmer under the bus. Well, Wilmer <laughs> just stands there going, you're not going to throw me under what? the bus. And like, what? Yeah, we are. We are, Wilmer. We're doing it right now. And then when they finally come to the decision, he looks around at everybody's face. <laughs> and he has a little bit of freak out. Yeah. And then they punch him, and he, and, he, and he lands on the couch. And he's out, right? Yeah. Yay! Movie over? Mm, not quite. Oh, okay. With, and so, now that they got the fall guy, he Sam wants to know the whole truth and nothing but the truth from God. And what he says is that Thursby was Bridget's ally, so shooting him would convince Bridget to tell them where the whereabouts of the Falcon. And, right. And so it was Wilmer that killed him. And then Spade wants to know what happened to Captain Jacoby, and he says they... They remembered Bridget being allied with Jacoby, and they feared she would give him the Falcon, and he wouldn't, and he would leave town with it, right? Yeah. So Wilmer searched the boat to find the Falcon and accidentally set the boat on fire. <laughs> I love <laughs> that. Wilmer's—he's so incompetent that he uh, accidentally burns down the boat. Then they followed Jacoby to Bridget's apartment and caught him as he was as he was leaving with the Falcon and Wilmer shot him. Um, and that's when they told Bridget to call Sam for help, right? Right, to try and draw him away. Yeah. <sighs> and then Bridget leaves. Okay, so Wilmer wakes up and they're like, oh, it sucks to be you. And then Bridget leaves <laughs> to make coffee. Yeah. And Gutman advises Spade to be careful of her. Then the sun starts to go up, and Gutman asks Spade if he can get the Falcon now. And so Spade calls Effie and tells her to retrieve it uh, from where he hid it. And that's what happened in the end. No. <laughs> <laughs> and then eventually Effie shows up. She's got the bundle. She gives it to Sam, and she says, I'm fucking out of here. Goodbye. Whatever. <laughs> Good luck with whatever this is. He puts the bundle on the table, and Gutman tears it open like a Christmas present. Oh, yeah. And for the first time in the fucking movie, we actually see the Falcon, and it's not terribly impressive, is it? No, it's, yeah, it's just, it it sounds like just what it is. It's like a little enamel statue of a Falcon. And then Gutman scrapes at the statue with a pocket knife to make sure it's the real deal. And it isn't, is Uh-oh. it? Oh no, it's just made of lead. He's hoping a- to scrape through the enamel and see the gold or the jewels underneath, but it's just lead. It's a fake. Yep. And then Sam says it's Bridget, who says that's the one she got from the Russian. Cairo blames Gutman for attempting to buy it and blowing the plan. And um, uh, Cairo calls him a stupid fathead and starts <laughs> to cry like a baby. <laughs> <laughs> you imbecile! Gutman seems to be okay. He decides he's going to leave and continue pursuing the statue. Bring, and yeah. he's going to take Cairo with him. They're going to go and look to a buddy. Buddies. Yay, buddies. Yay. You're like a son to me, Cairo. Uh-huh. And um, then he looks at the couch and Wilmer's gone. Yeah. And Spade laughs and he's like, he ran out of here. Yeah, I let <laughs> him go. Ah, ha, ha, ha. Gutman wants his $10,000 back, but he ain't getting that. After all, he did give him the statue. He didn't know it was a fake, right? Yeah, he's like, it's not my fault. It's not what you wanted. It's what yeah, I had. Stupid. <laughs> um, and then Gutman pulls a gun, and he gives him the envelope, keeping a thousand for his time and expenses. Right. And Gutman then asks him if he wants to come along, but he's like, yeah, because this seems like super fun. Yeah, yeah. You seem like know. a great bunch of guys. Yeah, I do. 
and they leave. And then he goes to the phone and he rats him out like a dirty rat. That's right. He calls the cops on him. He tells him that Jacoby and Thursday were killed by Wilmer Cook, who was employed by Gutman and worked with Cairo. He tells them where they're staying and they're all going down, right? Yeah. They're going down. <laughs> and we're like, okay, that's all that's left is some celebratory sex with Bridget, right? And then the movie's over. But when he hangs up the phone, he grabs Bridget, and he wants the truth, Yeah, that's right, because he knows that it was actually her who killed poor Miles way back at the beginning of the movie. Because she wanted Thursby eliminated so she she could keep all the loot for herself. Right. And even though she thought if he knew he was, if Thursby knew that he was being followed by Archer, that he'd be scared and leaving, but he wasn't scared. And Bridget says she'd never done it if she thought Thursby would have killed Arthur, Archer, sorry, and they didn't because she did it. Yeah, she, the, I think the, the, the justification is she killed Archer hoping to frame Thursby for it, hoping that that would scare Thursby away. Uh-huh. But that like, didn't... I'm- yeah, well, sounds yeah. great. Good plan. And he went, oh, okay, and they started making out. Now he said he's done protecting her. He's going to turn her into the police. And if she doesn't hang for murder, she can come back to him in 20 years. How nice. Yeah, I'll be waiting Isn't for that you. Isn't nice, Dave? <laughs> it's romantic. And she starts, she starts crying and saying she loves him. But does he fall for that shit? No, he's like, shut up. I don't need like, love. How, yeah, how could you do this to me? Blah, 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 blah. And he doesn't trust her, right? Right. And, and, and he also, he said... Yeah. Yeah. Well, and he that. says he, he he says you know when a man's partner is killed, he has to do something about it. And was that the whole point of the movie? I guess. <laughs> okay, but then the doorbell rings and it's the popo. It's the cabbage. And they're like, hey, that. And then Spade turns in Bridget and he shows him all the evidence, the gun, the money, and the statue. And the cops take Bridget away. And then one of the cops picks up the Falcon and remarks hey this is pretty heavy what is it and it's like it's a bird (laughs) what does it look like it's a black enamel bird you dingus what is this some kind of statue and what does he say steve well sam spade that learned english scholar that he is Mm -hmm. he says it's the stuff that dreams are made of oh what no the tempest is my favorite of shakespeare's plays i'll discuss it with you on the ride down to the station Whenever some, whenever I have a dream, someone hits me on the head with a lead statue of the Maltese Falcon? Exactly. <laughs> oh, okay. You never knew how that worked, did you? I didn't care to well, know. Well, now Thank you know. You. You're welcome. Let's go. And how come the cop didn't get more confused? Yeah, like, wh- what? <laughs> like, since when are you so fucking poetic? I asked you what this was because I cannot identify it with my eyes and hands. <laughs> I just want to know what kind of bird it is. <laughs> the Smart nest. ass. You should have asked that. It's a falcon, <laughs> you idiot. God, just get out of my apartment. <laughs> or his or answers just get more weird and esoteric. What? I just want to know what kind of bird it's supposed to represent. A flight of feathers and sun-beaming light. <laughs> a bird is a man's dreams made real. <laughs> Who are you and what have you done with hard-boiled detective Sam Spade? I've lost my freaking mind, that's what. <laughs> I just spent three days with no sleep, and all I got was a thousand bucks. Yeah, really? Which I turned over to the cops as evidence. Yeah, I know. <laughs> so, Steve, the end? The end. The end, yay! All right, Steve. What do you think about this classic film? The Maltese Falcon! <laughs> Hold. I'm going to go to the bathroom. Okay. And I'll be right back. Okay. Because I usually like being there. 
I like hearing your stuff and then being able to okay. react so, to it. So I'll just sit here and be quiet. Take take a two. Okay. Take a two. Okay, okay. cool. All right. <clears throat> Okie dokie. <clears throat> Sorry to make you wait. That's okay. Jason I Harding, figured... I thought that was you. What? <laughs> okay. So... I would say that this is the Private Eye movie to end all Private Eye movies, but it's actually the one that kickstarted the whole <laughs> subgenre. Yeah. So it's not quite accurate. But um, I love this movie. It's a great movie. Um, yep. When I watch it now, it's really remarkable how decept- how deceptively simple it all is. Like there's there's a mystery at the heart of the story, but it's not really the sort of mystery that we as the audience are invited to solve on our own before the solution. So when that solution comes, it's because we've been told about the series of double crosses and deceptions and the pleasure. Yeah. It's not like a whodunit where the pleasure is in, oh, I wonder what actually happened. It's, oh, who double well, crossed kind who? Of, it's kind of a whodunit. It is a little bit. With the, with the murder of Miles especially, it's like, yeah. you know, that's yeah. because that's the, the mystery that's sort of carried through all the way to the end. Um, but it's more about finding out who turned on who and where everybody's loyalties lie. And and that is it turns out to be true, especially with the character of Sam Spade, because he is that cynical, hard-boiled detective who, it turns out, has just the faintest little streak of idealism in him. Because Does he? Uh, uh, just a tiny, teeny, tiny little bit. I don't, I'm going to disagree with that. Because, I'll, I'll say why later. Okay. Yeah, I'm, I'm interested to hear. Um, because he does, he, throughout most of the movie, he seems to care mostly about money and himself. He's, he's unsentimental to the point of it seeming brutal. Like when yeah. like the, the part when we, that we talked about when he orders Effie to get rid of Miles's stuff, like the day after he was murdered, he's like, get mm-hmm. this stuff out of here. Like there's, wow, he's just not a sentimental guy at all. Nope. Um, and just, you know, the way he takes the phone call, very businesslike, doesn't seem to have any emotional reaction, tells Effie, you break the, you break the news to Iva, Don't want her near me. You know, just not not a very sentimental guy at all. But no. ultimately, he turns out he turns out to be a person of at least some principle because he turns Bridget over to the cops for the murder of his partner. He he yep. he turns over the thousand bucks that he took from Gutman for evidence. Um, and he does. I mean, I guess it depends on how you interpret that last scene and how how genuine you think Spade is being. But it seems like he's developed some feelings for Bridget, at least some affection for her. Um, but his principles take precedence, and he turns her over to the cops. And he says, "If you get out, if they don't hang you, and you get out in twenty years, I'll be waiting for you." You know, principles. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but so I say the movie is. I say the movie is deceptively simple. Because even though it is modest by modern standards, um, it is sort of a technical marvel for the time. Like if it's first of all, it's beautifully lit and shot. Oh yeah, it looks, it it is. looks good. The cinematography is amazing. Um, beautiful like high angle shots and low angle shots, and 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 it features some really really impressive camera work. In fact, the most celebrated sequence in the film is that the second meeting between Spade and Gutman, where mm-hmm. that whole sequence from when they get off the elevator on Gutman's floor and then they walk down the hallway and Spade takes. Uh, Wilmer's guns away and then they walk into the, the apartment and he has that talk with Gutman where he gets the backstory of the Falcon and then ultimately he gets slipped to Mickey and passes out that yeah. whole sequence 
and it's not it's not like a single camera shot there's different camera angles and stuff but that whole thing they rehearsed that for two days yeah and they did it in one take and yep. because everybody had every not just the actors but the crew everybody had the camera movements and everything was blocked out to perfection and mm -hmm. they got the whole thing in one take and when you watch it it doesn't really read as this bravura bit of filmmaking but no. when you when you know the story behind it and you know that they nailed all of that in one take after practicing for two days like it really is an accomplishment it's such a smooth really really well done scene and and there's also i mean there's the classic dialogue there's uh the supporting performances from like peter laurie and sydney greenstreet and mary astor and lee patrick who are who are bridget and effie who i mean i said at, at the beginning that I, I, by today's standards we wouldn't call them strong roles for women but for the time they, they get pretty strong they yeah and they they get to play actual characters and they're not just props or one-dimensional love interests i mean effie is hung up on sam and it's unreciprocated like sam clearly is she? I, I think she know. is. I mean, and well, she seems. I'll tell you, maybe whether it's romantic or not, she seems very devoted to him. True. And and he he certainly seems to appreciate her, but has yes. no indicates no romantic interest whatsoever. Uh, which is which in and of itself is kind of interesting that they have this very close but very professional relationship where they depend on each other, but there's no sexual, in, you know. She component. never intimates. She never intimates that she wants something from him. She never. It's not present in dialogue. Her first line is about how the woman in the in the uh, the lobby is a is is really good looking. Yeah. She's kind of. It's weird. They're a little bit like equals. The time when she sits down yeah. on his desk and starts rolling a cigarette for herself out of his tobacco. Yeah. That's right it's, yeah it's like they have a close relationship but i don't think she necessarily wants his d <laughs> he was bogart in the early 40s of course she wanted his d <laughs> Um, anyway, yeah, I know what you mean. I know, I know what you're saying, and I think it's it's one of the most interesting parts of the movie is this, that there are these these women who are are more than cookie cutter roles. It's not just well, we got to get some women in the picture. Like they actually have roles that are interesting and more than one dimensional. Uh, and of course, yeah. there's Bogart at the center holding the whole thing together in the role that would set the course for the rest of his career and for yeah. the entire hard-boiled detective subgenre of American right. film. You know, he plays this character with the gruff exterior and he's unflappable and quick-witted, you know, and rarely shows his true feelings. Um, no. And that's that's the proto. He never panics. Yeah, never panics. Always seems in control. Even when things don't go his way, he seems to have a contingency for that, or knows how to spin it or play it to get things back to his side. Yeah, and that's right. that becomes the prototype for the 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 private dick character for you know in movies. I mean, it already existed in Pulp Fiction, but for movies for the next several decades. Um, so yeah. yeah, it's it's a great. And very influential film, and it deserves to be. It's it's really really fantastic in pretty much every way that you could judge a film, and it's 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 a classic. I think it's it's a, a just an awesome movie. So yeah, there you go. Yeah, my turn. Your turn. Ready? <laughs> I'm ready. I hated this movie. No, I'm just <laughs> I knew you were gonna say that. <laughs> I love this movie. I love it deeply. 
despite the fact that it does a few things that I come to expect from movies, some things mm. that I like in movies, predominantly, number one, first and foremost, that characters have arcs, that they change over the period of, of the film. You know, something impacts them and they change. The main character, Sam Spade, does not change. Nah. He is on top all the time. When he is having a conniption fit, he's doing it for show, right? Yeah. He always seems to be one step ahead of what these people are trying to do to him, which is basically make him a dupe. And he's <laughs> always ahead of it. All the other characters are either lying or telling half-truths. Um, you know, we here's some here's some loose ends that we never we never tie up. You ready? <laughs> Ivy. <laughs> Yeah, that's right. Ivy is never settled. She says, I'm sorry, I lied. She's a complication to the plot. Now, I, the way I see this movie is there's one goal that he needs to accomplish by the end of this film. And that one goal is not to make a shitzillion dollars. It's not to get the Maltese Falcon. It's not to sleep with Bridget or with, or with Joel Cairo. It is, first and foremost, to clear his name. Right. Because he's been he believes that the police are going to pin him for either Archer's murder or for uh, uh, Floyd Thursby's murder. Thursby, yeah. Right. That is his overriding thing that he needs to accomplish for himself. Right. He's not doing this to avenge Archer. In fact, he don't give a shit about him. He was his part. He was his business partner. He was fucking his wife. And the instant he's dead, he scrapes all of that shit off the windows and off the front door. Get it off the business cards. Get rid of the letterhead. We're just scrubbing him clean from this business. Is now me, me, me. He does. He's not avenging anybody. He's not out for justice. The main important thing for him is that he needs to make sure that the cops understand that he. He didn't kill nobody. That's it. Um, and so I, as like Steve said, he saw some kind of principles. I didn't. I saw a man that was using every drop of his intellect and every and all of his street smarts and being able and not trusting a single fucking person he comes in contact to, with the exception of Effie. He trusts nobody. When Ivy comes in and she's weepy, he doesn't buy it. He doesn't buy the weepy widow act. And in fact, he even suspects her of trying to frame him for Archer's murder. He is not a good person. <laughs> he's a guy. He's very, he's really good at what he does. Um, but he's not necessarily that great of a guy. He had a lot of reservations about Bridget. And when Bridget put her, her little lady parts on the table for payment, he took advantage of that, didn't he, Oh yeah, yeah I did, but I don't think he actually loved her, and I don't, and she didn't love him when she was saying "I love you" at the end of the movie. There's no love in this movie. <laughs> These people don't have feelings. So now you're saying, well, what did you like about it? I'll tell you what I liked about it. On top of what Steve said, the cinematography and everything else, the super, 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 super tight script. Mm. It's almost as if, as soon as we get done with the crawl that explains Malta and the and the Maltese Falcon disappearing, there was a uh, there was a guy with a gun that shot it and said, "Go!" and the movie started running and it ran directly to the end. This movie is two hours and. 10 minutes long and you don't feel a fucking second of it because the minute it starts it don't stop for anybody you're getting stuff immediately bang 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 and you're getting all of this great dialogue
dialogue and these interesting characters and ooh, who's and and what becomes fun is who's who's conning who who's lying about this what who's lying about that what is his angle how is how is uh, Sam Spade going to get out of this is he going to get accused of murder what's going on and at the end we get it all wrapped up within two and a half two and a half minutes <laughs> <laughs> cops come hey what's this thing that stuff for dreams are made out of the end that's it it's a great movie. It knows what it is, and it's going to deliver exactly that. We're not going to get deeply rich, textured things. How different would this movie be, Steve, if when he got the call about Archer, he then just wept into his hands for ten minutes, yeah. and then showed up, and he was like, "So, uh, who, who I'm going to get revenge from my partner." <laughs> Well, yeah. Well, the reason the reason why that scene where he gets the call is so striking is because we expect a character to do that, and that's the furthest thing from it, what he do does. He? Yeah. You don't do it. He has no feelings for Ivy at all. No. He thinks they're all bullshit. He is the most deeply nihilistic, cynical character in a movie, I think, ever, almost ever. And he is our main hero, our main protagonist, and we follow him every step of this film. We don't get scenes without him, okay? Nothing happens without him being there, with the exception of dude getting shot. You know, when our, when Archer gets shot, he's not present for that scene. That's the only scene he's not present for in the film. Yeah, We're with him right. every step of the way. So we would notice if he was feeling bad about doing anything, and he's not. He enjoys, he loves putting Wilmer in his place. He loves it. <laughs> he has a gun pointed at him, and he laughs when when uh, when Cairo pulls the gun a second time. He's got this thing about him where nothing really lands that hard on him, but we know that he has to do this one thing. Clear my name of murder charges, because I ain't going to the big house. And that's what I like about it. Clear. Focused. I don't need him to change. I don't need him to have a long monologue about him and Archer and palling around during World War One or some shit. I don't need any backstory. These characters are laid out plain and simple, quick and so super quick. Right, Steve? Oh, yeah. That's oh, why yeah. Peter Lorre is sucking on his cane when he comes in. <laughs> <laughs> Get it? I mean, he, he rubs the, t- the tip of the cane handle along his lips, and I'm like, he's going to suck that in a second. I, if, if Houston could get away with it, he'd do it. It'd For be, real, yeah. But I love it. It's a beautiful film. Beautiful. And you, and, you, and you leave happy, and you don't know why, really, because, you, I mean, there are some men who wanted to be Sam Spade. This is the male ideal, emotionless. Oh, yeah. You know, kind of could take or leave women, could drop them like a hot rock if they need to. Um, I don't agree with that. I, I mean, I like the character of Sam Spade, but I never want to be him because no. he seems to have a fairly joyless life. <laughs> He's not a role model. Nope, but I do like it. So, Steve, recommend mm-hmm. or not recommend? Oh, recommend. Highly recommend. Me too. Great movie. Oh, by the way, what principle do you think he was writing on? I'll, I take him at his word when he gave when he gives the little speech about um, when a man's partner is killed, he has to do something. I, I take that as being genuine. So, I, I, I but do you? Be, yeah, because he even says he says it doesn't matter what you think about him. So it, you can you can believe as as you say in your review that he doesn't really think a whole lot of miles that once miles is gone he's gone and it doesn't really you know it doesn't really break his heart he doesn't really grieve 
Um, but it's just the idea of, well, he was my partner. I have to make that right, and, you know, whether I liked him personally or not. And he uh, said, and I, I think he even said, and you can even, you can interpret it a little more cynically if you want, because I think he even tells her, uh, and the, the, it, it, you know, in the detective racket, it's especially bad for business if you let people uh, bump yeah, off yeah. your partner and then you don't do anything about it, you know. But I, yeah, I think that was the principle he was adhering to. He was my partner and I'm the one who survived, so I have to fix this. Right, right. But I think you're right, too. I mean, he does want to clear his name. I mean, there is right. definitely some some self-preservation in there, for sure. Yeah. So I agree. Classic. Classic. Two classics. We, we're all... Everything's a classic now. Classic. We love everything. We're the classics show. This is a new year, and it's going to be nothing, but we love every <laughs> single thing we watch. Welcome to Masterpiece Theater. <laughs> All right, Steve, do you have a movie not to recommend? Oh, I sure do. Yay, go for oh, it. Oh, this one's this one hurts. Oh, I'm sorry. This one hurts. This one hurts me why? for for a, well, I'm going to tell you why. First of all, the main reason it hurts is it's just a really really lousy movie. Did uh, this movie touch you? It touched me. It felt me. <laughs> 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 it kept feeling me and I didn't like it. Uh <laughs> No, so uh, because Maltese Falcon is, is one of the great and early significant film noirs, I thought, well, let's look at a film noir that maybe didn't turn out so good. Right. So I'm going to not recommend one of the worst recent neo-noir films. One of the worst films of the last 10 or 15 years, just regardless. Um, and it's, it's a movie from 2008. Uh written and directed by Frank Miller and you why, might why did you why and you might why? be thinking you might be thinking I to yourself I just managed to forget about it <laughs> you might why be, did you <laughs> Jason knows what movie I'm going to say um you might be thinking to yourself Frank Miller but he's not a director nope no, no, he's not <laughs> he's, no that's true he's he not he's not um sin city was all robert rodriguez folks uh but so the movie that i'm not recommending it's called the spirit it's bad it's bad in every way and here's why it hurts me not just because it's a bad movie which it is it's a terrible movie the spirit is one of my very favorite comic book characters yes Uh, mine too Created by the greatest artist in the history of American comic books, Will Eisner. He has no peer. He has nope. no equivalent. I know everybody would say Jack Kirby or, or Stan Lee. Those are giants. Those are giants. Uh, but, but, but Will Eisner, Eisner whole, yeah, yeah Will the, Eisner stands package. above everything. Will the, the the highest award in comic books in American comic books is is called the Eisner, and that's and there's a reason for that. He was the the greatest of, of all of them, and the spirit was his most famous creation and and the spirit was yeah. was um he was like part superhero part pulp detective and yeah. his stories were just beautifully drawn the page layouts are just works of art and the stories were uh, were amazing the stories were wonderful and he was and he was a newspaper feature instead of a monthly comic book which is relatively yeah. unique and, and, and he it, took the whole fucking page oh he and, and and most of the original spirit stories were only eight pages and yeah. and he and he used every 
every inch of space he had and he was just he was a genius and the spirit was some brilliant 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 stuff uh you know there's there there's there's one character in there that is today we recognize quite easily as a racist stereotype which yeah. is super unfortunate and he's like damn will yeah. you really fucked that up but other than that it's 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 amazing so the spirit is very close to my heart and uh to see the spirit finally adapted into a major movie and to have it turn out this badly and especially like i mean frank miller has gone completely over the cliff and is and is not a film director to begin with but i happen to know that frank miller for whatever whatever other problems he has as a person and as a writer these days absolutely reveres will eisner as uh, most comic as most comic book do. artists do uh so to see not only is the spirit film this awful but it's this awful written and directed by Frank Miller, who is a Will Eisner super fan. It's just, it's really, really disappointing. And it's a terrible movie. I don't know how movie. he managed to get it so fucking wrong. It, everything about it is so wrong. wrong. Everything about it is wrong. And yeah, it's just terrible. I mean, the, the spirit comics were, in addition to being so well drawn and well written, there was a sincerity and an earnestness to them and, a, and like a fun, creative, <laughs> you know, imaginative energy. And yeah, there's just none of that in this movie. It's just blah. It's just awful. Mm -hmm. So whether you are a fan of noir or neo-noir, whether you are a fan of the spirit, whether you are a fan of Will Eisner, or we just if you watch the Maltese Falcon and you thought, oh, that was good, what else you got? Please, for the love of God. Or if you're a fan of Samuel L. Jackson. Or if you're a fan of, oh, Samuel L. Jackson. There are so many good people in this movie that are just utterly wasted. Uh, whatever For whatever your reason may be, I am recommending that you not watch the spirit. It is awful. So there you go. That's my not recommendation. Yay! As you guys know, I like to not recommend a film from the same year as the movie that we just reviewed, and it's 1941. And someone decided, hey, you know what? Let's make a remake. It's been 10 years. We'll make a remake. We'll make a remake of, of uh, what is a beautiful and classic film. And um, let's uh, let's not try at hard. You know, let's not try super hard. And people will just laugh it up. That always turns out well. The remake that I'm talking about is Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde. Oh, I knew that was going to be it. Starring Spencer Tracy, Ingrid Bergman, and Lana Turner. Hey guys, if you want to watch a movie where there's almost no discernible difference between Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde after he transforms, watch this movie. Because there isn't. <laughs> <laughs> they went a different also, direction. The only person that ever got any any um, praise in this was Ingrid Bergman playing Ivy, and that's about mm. it. Everyone else seemed bored, or they didn't know what to do. And Spencer Tracy is not British, and he's not Brit. He's not. He's not British, <laughs> and he's in this movie. And, and he's not trying to be. <laughs> and he's not a doctor. I've never ever pictured Spencer Tracy as a doctor or a scientist or anything like that. Really, I know it's typecasting, but I just never pictured him that way. And he's in this. And it's awful. Yeah. They're like, can we watch the Frederick March one again? That one's old. Watch this one. No, can we watch the Frederick? No, we gobbled up all the Frederick March ones, which they did. <laughs> yes. They pulled them, and it got lost for a long time, and they nearly they, lost that movie. They, they special editioned that shit. They, yes, they, they, they said, no, this is the one now. You must watch this one. <laughs> So don't see it. It's not scary. It, it, it's just, it's a it's a limp piece of celery. And you're like, I don't want to eat this. And you're like, eat it. <laughs> you have to eat it. <laughs> then tell us how good it is. Yeah. Like, no. 
it is it is such a letdown after the Frederick yeah. March because the Frederick March version is just is genius and or this the one, Barrymore one. That's true. Yeah, yeah, that's a good point too. Yeah, yeah, it's yeah, it's ugh, don't even bother. <laughs> Don't bother. Don't bother. Hey, Steve. Yeah. <gasps> it's time for you to make a terrible choice. Oh, I knew this was coming. For those of you who don't know, um, I make Steve choose the next film that we're going to review. And he has to choose blindly from three different films. A, B, or C. So, Steve. Oh, boy. Please make your selection. <sighs> okay. Uh, B. 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 Oh, Okay, had you selected... <laughs> I, always, I can always tell when I picked one that you hoped I hadn't picked. You're always like, had, okay. Had you selected A, okay. we would have reviewed Harry Potter and the Sorcerer's Stone. Oh, okay. Had you selected C, we would have reviewed the Titanic turd in everybody's mouth, the lady in the water. Oh. But you selected B. Okay. A movie close to my heart. Ooh. Closer to my heart than a lot of other movies. Oh, wow. And I know how much you love fantasy. Oh, boy. Oh, boy. And then, you know, unless you hadn't noticed, all three, of the, all three of these movies are fantasy films. <laughs> the movie we're going to review next is the classic Jim Henson film, <gasps> The Dark Crystal. Oh. And depending on how Steve reacts to it, <laughs> you might be looking for another funny review show. <laughs> Because I might lose my shit. <laughs> if you fire me, Atticus will take my place. Oh, yeah, that, yeah, huh? Okay. And so, <laughs> damn. And so, if you guys want to get all the jokes or wonder why Jason just hired a hitman, please go watch The Dark Crystal. The Dark Crystal. And that's it. Thanks, guys, for tuning in. For Late Seating, this has been Jason Harding, and go see a movie this week. And this has been Steve Shives. If they hang you, I'll always remember you. Ew, but only if they hang me? Only if, if they, they hang me. What if they give me the chair? If, well, I'll probably forget about it. You remember why? a hanging. What's the a, difference? You remember a hanging. A hanging's a very big thing. You stand there in the courtyard, and they you know, they walk you up onto the gallows. They say, yeah. any last words? You give like some eloquent speech and then they put the rope around you and pull the lever. The floor drops out. And, you know. So it's only hanging. What if it's a firing squad? Mm, I might remember that, that has I a was, loud noise. I might remember that I was at a firing squad, but I might not remember it was you. What if they decide to go like really old school and just crush me under rocks? Nah, I don't think I would remember that. Ugh. If they hang See, so you, it's if, only if, hanging. if they hang you, I will always remember you. So if 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 you ever get convicted of a, of a of a capital crime and they say it's the death penalty for you, Harding, like request being hanged, so that way I'll never forget. Why would I request that? What if they gave me life in prison? And I said no, no, hang me, or or Steve will forget about me. <laughs> You're a monster! If you die of natural causes, I'll definitely forget about you. And what makes you think that I care that much that you remember me? Well... I'm dying! <laughs> I got bigger problems here. It's like, oh, let's see. My children, my children will miss me. No, no, no. I need to make sure that Steve remembers me. <laughs> that guy. I want the worst kind of execution possible. <laughs> that guy I co-hosted podcasts with. Barry, yeah. He well, must I, remember. To make sure that he remembers me forever, forever, cut my body down and throw it on him if he's there. <laughs> make sure you meet all of his weird terms for remembering me. <laughs> That's the most important thing right now. Who's the guy taking Polaroids out in the audience? <laughs> <laughs> it's so he remembers. <laughs> it finally happened. <laughs> <laughs>
<laughs> he won't weirdly hit on me during the show anymore. <laughs> I want to see the body. I want to know that he's dead. <laughs> yeah, but you'll regret it when I'm dead when you try to record the next show all by yourself. <laughs> and then you find yourself dressing up in girls' clothes for the opening bit. <laughs> I'll just pretend that I'm you. Okay, great. So this gets to go full circle. <laughs> People are like, the show wasn't like this before. <laughs> this is just upsetting. It's clearly, he's not even doing a different voice. <laughs> what, Jason doesn't like the Lord of the Rings films now? Yeah, I, I don't know. get it. <laughs> Hi, this is Jason, and I just want to say that I hate the Lord of the Rings. Right, Steve? <laughs> right, Jason. Those are the worst. I think so, too. Stop. Stop trying to kiss me. <laughs> <sighs> All right, goodbye, everybody. <laughs> goodbye, everybody. Me and you need to talk. Oh, okay. Late Seating is a Let Me Listen podcast production featuring Steve Shives and Jason Harding. Produced by Jason Harding. Theme music, Rollin' at Five, composed and performed by Kevin McLeod. You can find more Let Me Listen podcast productions at our website at www.letmelistenpodcast.com. You can also find us on Stitcher, iTunes, or just about anywhere you download podcasts. Late Seating is a listener-supported podcast. If you would like to support Late Seating or any of the other Let Me Listen productions for as little as $1 a month, please visit our Patreon page at www.patreon.com slash lemmelisten. And... Thanks for listening.